Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of end friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. He turned down a million dollars to sell the rights to his one-man show. He wouldn't do it unless he could be in it and write the screenplay. Everyone said he was crazy. Everyone except Robert De Niro, who said, You got it. You get to be in it. You get to write it. It'll be authentic. We'll make it the way you want to make it. A Bronx Tale. Welcome, Chaz Palminteri, to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Hey everyone, my guest today is the director, writer, producer, and Oscar-nominated actor Chaz Palminteri. Throughout his career, Chaz has appeared in over 50 films, including his Oscar-nominated performance in Bullets Over Broadway. His one-man show that turned him into a household name, A Bronx Tale, has become a movie directed by Robert De Niro, and now it's currently a Broadway musical hit. Other films include Analyze This, Hurley Burley, Mulholland Falls, The Perez Family, A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints, and Legend. He's starred in many, many TV shows, including Modern Family and Blue Bloods. He was born in the Bronx. He's a member of the Actors Studio. He is a teacher. He is a humanitarian. And I am so honored to welcome Chaz Palminteri to the podcast. Well, thank you very much, Alana. Thank you. It's such a thrill to have you here. I just had the um, great pleasure and privilege of seeing your musical, A Bronx Tale, and I really thought 
Talk about a gift that keeps on giving. Just keeps on giving. You know, it's a message. You know, it's the story. Uh, uh, I wrote it in 1989. I performed it uh, as a one-man show, and it broke me as an actor and made me a star. And then, obviously, the movie, Robert De Niro, and now the musical. So... It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing, yes. I am very happy for you. And well, I would just you. like to say congratulations Thanks in person because I just had Nia Vardalos on the show and she wrote my big fat Greek wedding. Mm. And we were talking about that one woman show, mm. which much like a Bronx tale, kind of was lightning in a bottle, lightning, this thing yes. that rarely happens, came out of a desire for her to make a part for herself because she wasn't seeing herself represented. Right. And also she couldn't get arrested. That's exactly what I did. Well, actually, if you don't mind, let's start before that. Sure. You were born in... In the Bronx. And you have siblings. You're an only child. I have two sisters. Okay, so they're not represented. They're not represented. How do they feel about that? You're an only child well, they in a were, Bronx they were, tale. they were upset in the beginning. <laughs> they said, I wanted you. But then they realized as an artist and as a writer, it, it just... It meant more to the story to be the only child and to be the triangle between the gangster and my father and me. It just wouldn't have fit. To focus the story in that way. To focus the story in that way. Where are you in the family? I'm the middle child. Okay. So what's the age difference between your sisters? My other sister is three years older than I am, and then my other sister, my younger one, is nine years older, younger than me. So, uh, and all all of them were very successful, both of my sisters. All the palmentaries. Yes. So my mother and father really just drilled this into our head about not wasting our talent and doing the best we can and being successful. So all three of us. So when the inciting event happened that, Mm. I mean, I I can't imagine there's a listener on the planet that is not aware of the story at the center Mm. of the Bronx tale. But, you know, you can say it best, but you were nine years old. Yes, I was sitting on a stoop and I saw these two cars. I thought they were fighting over a parking space because one was backing in. The other guy kind of zoomed in behind them. And then one guy got out with a baseball bat, the guy in the front, and smashed the window of the guy in the back. The guy got out of the car. He was bleeding. His whole head was busted open. And the guy went to hit him again, I guess, you know, to really kill him. And then this guy came over with a gun and killed the man with the baseball bat. You know, when you look at a picture, you no longer know, am I remembering this or is this Mm. photograph the memory? When you tell me that story, which you've written about, filmed, sung Mm. at this point... Do you remember it like it was yesterday? Yeah, yeah. And, he's, and he, what I always remember was the uh, the guy went down, and I remember that that the way he turned and looked at me, and I looked at him. And I now I could be wrong, but I always think that the way he looked at me was, oh God, this kid had to see this. Yeah. You know, I always kind of remember. Then the next minute, I knew I was flying up the steps. My father just was dragging me up the steps, and. Uh, was that the first time you had seen that kind of violence? That kind of violence, yeah. That was the first time I saw a man get killed with a gun, yeah. And have you seen other men since then get killed? Uh, I, I arrived later when they were dead. So in reality, as opposed to the way you so beautifully have captured this moment in your life and then what it meant for you to sort of ultimately be asked to choose between your father and this man who kind of adopts you into this mm. shiny, exciting world, what did that moment really mean for your entire family because in real life you had sisters yes and and the the whole community must have been somehow involved in this tragic moment actually it was just fluffed right off really to be honest with you uh and you see the thing that makes this unique the story is sunny 
didn't want me to be. Sonny told me the same things that my father told me. Uh Exactly the same. Stay in school. Do something with your life. Don't hang around this neighborhood. And that's what makes the story so unique. It was that my father said it doesn't matter what he says. You will be influenced by his who he is and where he what he what he comes from, and he didn't, and he goes and just being around him things could happen, so he didn't want me staying there, uh, no matter how much Sonny told me the you know the the right thing right and that's what makes the story so interesting. So how many years of your life were spent sort of in this tug of war between your family and oh. and the family Sonny presented to you? I probably till I was about nine nineteen twenty one. Oh, so your entire childhood. Yeah, my entire childhood, yes. So what happened at 21? When Sonny died, we moved. We, didn't, we stayed in the Bronx, but we moved out of that neighborhood, but I would still go back there. And was that a coincidence that you moved when he died? or, or I think was it was that part appointed? coincidence and part where my dad said, okay, you know, we, we, we got we to gotta just move somewhere else, you know. So I think it's part of that. When you look at sort of, you told me before we started recording that you're raising your children in the suburbs. They're having a very different childhood. Very different, yes. It must be remarkable to kind of look at where you came from and how you're now raising children in such a different environment. How do you you find ways to kind of connect the two for yourself? Well, and I always want to state this, Elena, that I didn't grow up in this like horrible ghetto. It was a great... Italian neighborhood. It was wonderful. It was literally in the Bronx. Everybody knew each other. No doors were locked. Could violence happen at times? Yeah. But it was... You weren't scared. You didn't grow up scared. Oh, no. It wasn't the mean street. Absolutely not. I I always tell people that. I want to come off as I grew up in like like this Afghanistan. No. This was a wonderful Italian neighborhood with great people, great stores, great shopping. Yes, can violence happen in any given moment? Yes. And it did it? Yes. But it wasn't, it was a great childhood. I had a great childhood. And did you have lots of relatives in the neighborhood or mm. grandparents? Yeah, my, my grandmother and grandfather lived on the third floor. We lived on the fifth floor. You know, relatives, friends, cousins. I had 30 kids. There were no play dates. I would go down, I would go down on the corner and I had 30 guys to right. play with, you know. It was a tough growing up. You had to learn how to take care of yourself. You had to fight. So it was tough. Were you aware of the financial pressures that your parents were under, or were they able to kind of not when I was really young? Uh, When I got older, I saw that my father, you know, would borrow money from a Shylock and then give it to another. Mm -hmm. You know, he used to have to cash in soda bottles to buy food. Sometimes I I heard about that later. I never thought we had problems. I thought. Everything was great. Yeah. They they just had a... My mother and father were the greatest parents in the world. They were very loving. Tell me, I'm a parent. I would love to know any of the things that pop in your mind about really what has resonated and stayed with you. Yes. I think the best thing that you could do as a parent is be good to your spouse and be a good person because basically what they do is they mirror you. Mm. That's basically what they do. Right. Everything you do, everything you say, is their image for, is their Im- Think about it. You remember things your mother did or your father did when you were five, six. Sure. It stays in your head. Yeah. Well, they're going to remember that too. Yeah. So every time I you know, lose my temper in a car or I'm about to say, I'm, I just, when they were young and even now, but I say, hey, you know, I'm always teaching, teaching them. I always tell them, I said, look, 
Five seconds of impatience could lead to a lifetime of misery. Five seconds of just get jumping out of a car and doing something stupid could lead to a lifetime of misery. Don't do it. You know, I constantly drill that in their head. Well, not to mention all the social media our kids have in the palm of yes. their hand that we, I mean, that was not something you definitely had to contend no, we, with. No, and, and it's all. even new for me. And I tell people, I say, unless you're willing for the whole world to see what you just wrote, don't write it. Mm -hmm. If you're not willing for the whole world to see it, don't write it. You know, that's important. Well, you wrote something for the whole world to see yeah. uh, that you must feel very proud of. So I, I am very proud of it. In your community, I mean, I'm sure you went to the movies growing yes. up. That's such a big deal for kids growing up. Yes. When did you sort of have this thing, I'm not going to just watch what people are doing on stage or on screen. I'm going to be doing that too. Yeah, I was about 10, 10, 11. Yeah. My mother took me, would take me to the movies a lot. And I remember seeing a movie called Around the World in 80 Days with David Niven. And I remember I, the Technicolor. It was the first time I saw Technicolor like that. And I was like, wow, wow. I would mimic. I would imitate the wise guys, and I would mimic the actors that I saw on screen. Could you do David Niven? I mean, were you able to do all no, sorts of accents? Or? I, no. I, 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 the wise guys I could, yeah, yes. Yeah. But I would just watch them, and, and I would just... I, I was fascinated by it, and I said, I want to do that. I want to be that. And was there anyone in your world who did it? or no. who had, No. So you didn't know anyone personally? No, but my mother was in an acting class with John Godfield. She was? My father, yes. My father was uh, a saxophone player. Arts yeah. in the family. Yeah, so there was arts in the family, but they gave all of that up to raise a family. And I think, uh, but they said to me, when I told them about wanting to be an actor, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. You go for it. Always that way. Yeah. Never like get a civil service job. They weren't scared for you. No. Dream. My mother said, if you want to dream, you dream. Did your siblings, were they artistically no. inclined? My oldest sister, she was more of a, a a brain with the producing. You know, she she started a travel agency. She built another one. She ended up having 30 of them. So and her entrepreneurial really spirit smart, was, yeah. yeah. Sold them all, made a fortune, retired in Florida. My other sister was more of the academic graduated college, got two masters, you know, just driven. Wow. Both, all three of us were driven. You know, I was, I was the one who was successful the latest. Well, that's what's so great about your story. Yeah, you was, hung in yeah, there. Yeah, I hung in there, you know. And uh, so all three of us did very well. Were your parents speaking Italian in your apartment growing up? Well, or? they didn't want us to understand what we were saying. Okay, they so would, they didn't teach you the language. No, they wouldn't do that. Because my grandfather... Back when I was born, back when then, we said, don't speak Italian to the kids. Make them American. You know, we're American now. We're not Italian anymore, which was not, I, I really wish I, you know. You know. Had, had that language. Yeah, I had that. But my wife speaks Italian. My wife has the first generation. So she speaks Italian. And my kids, my, my daughter speaks Italian. My son, not bad. Because she would speak with them in yes. Italian. That's great. Yes. And now they're talking when they don't want you to understand. Yes. They're all talking about you. Yes. So so it's in your blood. You see this movie. You think, I can do that. Yeah. So where's the um, the thread from, there's David Niven in, in yes. Around the World to... So your... then I went to school. and uh, Did I, you I, go to college? Yes, I did go to college. I went to Bronx Community College. I okay. didn't graduate. <clears throat> they end up giving me a degree anyway. But well, that's the beauty of stardom, isn't it? It's the beauty of stardom. <laughs> uh, but I went to I went to Catholic school, and uh, 
I, I wasn't that great in school. Be for some reason, I don't know why, I, I couldn't, I wasn't good in, um, in uh, math. Uh, my, the thing that I was good in was English. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I was good in English. A good writer, and you loved, yes. did you love to read? I loved to read, and I, I loved to write about something that I read. I could, when I got old, I could talk about it, mm -hmm. like what it was, what I saw in it. But I was terrible in spelling. And nobody knew really what it was back then. And then we found out later I was dyslexic. Right. And but there was no support. There was absolutely How frustrating. It is a miracle that I ended up where I am it's because incredible. I thought I was dumb, to be honest with you. And I didn't really know that till my son got tested. And then I said, Well, wait a minute, Doc. I said, That's me. And he goes, Did you ever get tested? I said, No. And then I did, and he said, You're dyslexic. But you had figured out how to compensate. But on I, your I, own. I figured it out how to do it somehow. Right. Incredible. Yeah, I figured it out how to do it, you know, and uh, I, and then once I got to uh, a college, I, I again, I just I didn't know, but I was so good in English. I would get I would ace English aid. I would come up with I would read things by D. H. Lawrence and Herman Hesse, and I remember and write write about what I saw, and I was great. But then I would do other things like science or algebra. It was just terrible. Would you, know? you go see, I mean, you got to grow up in New York City. Would you Would you come downtown and, and come see plays? Was that a part yeah, of Yeah, well, your... I couldn't afford it too much. But my parents, you know, I would try, I would save up money, and then I would go see, I saw Al Pacino on stage, you know. And uh, Do you remember some of the first plays you ever saw, or the first musicals? Well, the first musical, I think, was Hair. That's a, It's a good starter one. I, yeah, this that was Hair. I'm going to be an actor, and, and too. And I, and I this seems there, great. I, I sat there, and I watched... You know, um, uh, all them running up the aisle like in hair. So you know? exciting! And I remember I auditioned for uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. The Broadway production. Broadway production. No training at all. I had no training. But, but somehow you found out. Like, were you I reading backstage? Out, open or? call. Open okay. call. And I went down, and I remember very distinctly. I had eight callbacks. They called me back eight times, and I was like the last thirty guys. And out of the 30, they picked the apostles. And that's when I got cut then. And I was like, well, you know, and to me, I was like, well, gee, I got pretty far. You yeah. know, not realizing even how fortunate I was, but I had no training at all. I did sing. I was a singer. But, you know, I said, wow, man, I got really close to that, you know. But then, uh, you know, I just, I just kept going at it and just working hard. So when you got out of, you went to community college, you didn't yes. finish, you started to audition. Did you have an agent? Was this no. all through the trade? Like, how were you finding out about this? I would get go to backstage and look at backstage and see, oh, there's a showcase, there's an independent little film, and I would audition. So what was the very first job you ever got hired to do as a professional okay. actor? Well, I, I could say the, it, the amazing thing, I, I go and I see this sort I happen because I'm so lucky. I mean, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I open up this newspaper and I see NYU student film, Italian American. I went, wow, that's pretty good. And then I said, I wonder where. To, so I, I remember, I remember saying to the guy who sold the newspapers, I said, where is this this address? He goes, it's right there, literally across the street. I went, that's it. He goes, yeah. So, so I walk in there and I see this uh, Chinese director. He didn't speak much English. And he said, would, could you read? And I said, sure, sure, sure. And I read it, and I get the part. He calls me up, and I go, I got the part. I go, wow, I'm going to be in this NYU film. 
And I do the film, and the film won. He won the award for like best filmmaker. Best film, yeah. Best film. And yeah. who was the filmmaker? Ang Lee. Of course, it was. It was Ang Lee, and it was his first film. Oh my gosh! So that's a really great way to start. Yeah. So I went, wow. And then I saw the film, and I was like, wow, this is really good. <laughs> you know. But then, as any actor, you keep going out there, you keep trying, and. And are you meeting other actors at this point? Yeah. Is your community growing in terms of friends who are also doing this? Do you know any of those people I, still? I meet some of them, but, but I started singing more, and I, my singing career took off. I was with a band. What I kind had, of stuff did you sing? I had really long hair. I sang heavy metal rock. What? And then I sang jazz. Is there a, is there a long lost CD somewhere? Yeah. There? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I have those. So I was making money, and I, and, and, but then I would come in and study and come in and study. And so you were split between two worlds. I was split worlds. between the two, but I was spending more time with the singing, traveling all over, making money. Okay. But there was like, you know, it was the 70s, girls, money, yep. rock and roll. That and sounds fun. And then in 1980... I spent ten, uh, you know, eight years doing that traveling, and so and are I, you in your twenties now? Yeah. Or the, okay. Yeah, and I said, "Gee, man, I, I gotta, I want to act and I want to write. I, I love the singing, but." And then I remember um, Michael Shirtliff. I took his class, and and then I auditioned, and I got into uh, the Actors Institute. Is that uh, what the, it was called before Strasburg. the Actors no, Studio? No, Lee Strasberg Institute. And I met him, and then to get into his class. You had to audition, and you had to study for a, while, a year there. And I did, and I auditioned, and I got in this class. Do you do a scene? Do you do a monologue? You do monologues and scenes. Okay. And Lee said to me, he said... Uh, Lee Strasberg. Lee Strasberg. I'm sorry. And he said, <laughs> no, if you really want to do this, you have to do it. You have to forget about the band and come... Mm. And he says, you're good. You know, you could, you know, you got to work, and you got to starve. I'll never forget it. He said, you got to starve, Jazz. And I was like, oh. So I left the band. Great. I'm starving. You know, Thanks. I'm starving. Yeah. <laughs> really know. hungrily. And then I got a uh, part in an off-Broadway show. And and then I got an understudy on Broadway in a play that didn't last long. It lasted a week. Are there people that were in those classes at Strasbourg at the time that you're still in touch with or no. people that became more well-known? Really, no. You broke out. I broke out. Mm -hmm. you know, the the ones the classes in front of me, in this when I got into the studio, that's was, uh, you know, Pacino and Walken and Harvey Keitel, but they were older. Than right, I they're like a decade, a decade ahead of older, you, yeah, right? Ahead of me, right? But it must have been amazing to Nia's point, Nia Vardalo. Mm. She wasn't seeing famous Greeks making mm. it. So right. for yeah. you, you sort of, I mean, there's Pacino, there's De Niro, yeah. there are these guys. There's and these it, guys that I looked up to. And, sure. And now, um, well, now they're your family, which is kind well, of well. Now they're my friends, right? Right, but yeah. but at but, the time, but I, this young kid, and then finally I write this thing about this killing that I saw. So and, who uh, gave you that idea? How did that even come to you? Okay, the way that happened was, again, I, I like like Strasberg told me, I, you got to starve. So I was starving. You're really hungry. So I, I made, I did a few, you know, I did Hill Street Blues, and I did some guest star roles. And I had so you're money. piecemealing it together. Yeah, a little I had bit. money. I had a little apartment in in West Hollywood. So you moved out to L.A. I went to L.A. Okay. Did uh, you know anybody? No, I I had a friend. Did you I, drive? I, did you fly? How did you get there? I I, I flew. Okay. And I stayed there because I saved some money. I was working as a doorman as a nightclub because I used to box and I used to work. So I'm working at this doorman. 
in, the, I, city, in the city, and you saved up to go to L.A. I saved up to go to L.A., and the owner of the club said to me, he said, uh, I want, he said, look, you're so good with people, you're a great guy, I want to offer you a job. I'm going to pay you $75,000 a year. This is 1989. Plus, I'm going to buy you a new car. Plus, you go to Chicago and manage my club. And I was like, wow. I said, can I think about this for a day? And he said, sure. So I went home, I thought about it, and then I came back and I said, I, I can't. I, I want to go to L.A. I want to be right. an actor. That's derailing your, I said, it's your got, big it's dream. It's only derailing me again like yeah. the band did. I said, could you fire me so I could go collect unemployment? Right. So I'm still starving, so but I have says, a little he something. He says, you want me to fire you, yes. and you're going to turn this down. I said, yeah. He said, okay. That's what you want, Chaz. I wish you luck. I said, okay. And he fired me, and I went to L.A., and I collected uh, $127 a week. And I uh, got this little dumpy apartment. And what then part, I, where were you in L.A. then? Aqua Vista. 11104 Aqua Vista. We've, we've just made that a landmark building yeah, with that yeah. announcement. Yeah. And I got on, then I got on Hill Street Blues and I got on Matlock and Dallas. And then I did this uh, a bunch of uh, miniseries. And I was making, okay, you know, putting money away. And, and then uh, I started to run out of money after a year of that. And I said, well, gee, I better get a job before I... Re so I got a job as a doorman at a, at a swanky club there. So I'm at the swanky club, and I'm working there two, three months auditioning. And this one guy walks up to me one day, as I, the ropes were in front, and he said, "Get, come on, just let me... He was really nasty to me, you know? We don't like that. Very nasty. And what, you can't get nasty with a doorman because no. he's got the power. Yeah. So he said, then he finally looks at me and goes, Do you, don't you know who I am? You know, when a guy says that, that's it. He's not getting in. Right. I said, yeah, the other guy's not getting in tonight. Exactly. I know exactly who you are. So he said to me, you will be fired in 15 minutes. I said, really? I said, get online. Everybody tells me that. And all of a sudden, he made a big stink, and the owner comes out, and I hear the owner go, oh, my God. And who was the guy? It was Swifty Lazar. Swifty Lazar was the biggest agent in the world at the time, represented Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Nixon, everybody. And 15 minutes later, I got Wait, fired. Richard Nixon or Richard Burton? Richard Nixon. Had an, he, he had a book he, deal. Oh, my you know, God. So he would, you know, he would represent book deals. So and, that wasn't the best. Yeah. It wasn't the best night. No. Well, he, this guy was like the most powerful agent And you just the kept world. him from getting in the club. And I just kept him from getting into his own party. <laughs> it was his party. Right, he was right. legendary for the parties right, he threw, if you right. look him up on Google. So anyway, I get fired. The guy says, Chaz, I'm sorry, but I got to let you go. I get in my car, this dumpy car. I drive back down to uh, Aqua Vista, and I get out of the car, and I say, what the hell am I going to do with my life? Yeah. I said, How you know old what? are you at this point about? Uh, well, this was, uh, let's see, I was born in 52. So, uh, excuse me, 70, 82. Uh, you're around. I mean, I'm 30. I'm in yeah, my, I'm, you're I'm a grown like man. 30, 38, 38, 39. Are you in love at the time? Are you no. in a relationship? No, I just, you're wandering. I'm, just, I'm wandering. I yeah. don't want to get involved. Yeah. So finally, I get, I sit there and I go, "What am I going to do?" I look up on the on the on the uh, refrigerator, and there's the card. Saddest thing in life is wasted talent. I put it up there. That your dad had given that you. That my dad had given me. And I said, "Well, if they won't give me a great part, then I'll write one myself." 
And I got into my little dumpy car, went over to Thrifty Drugstore on Ventura, and I got five tabs of yellow paper, the long yellow paper. I put it down, and I said, now, what am I going to write about? And I went, the killings. Because mm. they always stayed in my head. I said, of I'll course. write about the killings. I said, I'm going to play all the parts. I'll do a one-man show. This way they got to notice me. And I started to write. And I wrote a five-minute piece of the, the killing. I performed it for my theater workshop. And they loved it. And each week I would go back and write more. Each week I would write and then perform. Each week I would write, take seven minutes, take three out of the seven. Take, and out of a, after about 10 months to a year, I had 90 minutes of this one-person show that was really tight. You know, as an artist, you know yourself. You, you workshop it. It's tight. I did it in front of an audience every week. Took their notes, listened to what people said. So now I have no money. Right. How am I going to get it produced? So I called my friend who offered me the job. The nightclub the in night Chicago. Club years ago. I called him up and I said, hey, you know, I... I, I, I wrote this play, and I don't know, you always talked about maybe you want to get into the movie business, whatever. I said, it's not a movie, it's a play. I said, I need some money. He goes, uh, let me think about it, Chaz. I said, okay. I thought he blew me off. Next day, the next day, I get a knock on my door. This guy opens the door, and he goes, you Chaz Palmateri? I said, yeah. He goes, gives me a thing signed here. I sign. It's a FedEx envelope. I open it up. It's like $40,000. And I'm like... Are you kidding me? No. I'm like... I tell you how lucky I am. What? I go, what? So I call him up and I go, Peter, why would you send me this money? He goes, you said you need the money to do the play, right? I go, yeah, but you you don't even know what it is. I didn't even send it to you. He goes, I saw you in a couple of movies and a couple of... He goes, you got talent. I'll take a shot with it. So here, here's a, a fairy godfather. Yeah. So I, I got a publicist. I, I think I got a little theater at the West Coast Ensemble, and I did the play. It takes off. Bam! Like right away. It gets reviewed. No, reviewed. Like just bam! People never seen anything like that. A person doing all the characters on stage. Yeah. Usually one person shows a guy just talking, then doing a character. This was a linear story. This was a movie. So it was just unbelievable. Two weeks later, I get a phone call from a studio at my home. They got my home number. How? <laughs> and they said, uh, we saw the play. It was really great. We want to offer you $250,000. And I'm like, what? Yeah, we want to buy the story. I said, mm -hmm. yeah, but I want to play Sonny, and I want to write the screenplay. They said, no. no not going to happen. Not going to happen. I, so I said, give me a 24 hours to think about it. I thought about it. I spoke to my parents. They said, you do what you want, son. Called them back up. I said, no, I am not doing it. They said, well, forget it then. People said, are you crazy? You just turned down $250,000. I said, no, I want to do it. So then about two weeks later after that, another studio called off me 500000 So now I'm like, I don't need... This is I like a crazy game show. I don't have an agent. Yeah. Do you understand that? Yeah. I don't have an agent. $500,000. Now, but William Morris starts coming, chasing me. ICM is chasing me, and um, CAA is chasing me. So finally, I'm, I'm talking to all three of them because I said, I got to get an agent. They want me, so I got to decide who would I want to go to. I'm meeting right. with them each week. I'm meeting with them. So finally, I'm supposed to meet with William Morris one week, and this is all 
true to the I'm not exaggerating one bit. Okay. They call me and they say, uh, you got to be in it too. I said, yeah, I'll be in it too. Now, my car had a little hole in it where it used to leak water. So if I forget to put water in it, it would overheat. Right. So I get back in the car. I get in the car to go down to William Morris. I get in, I go three blocks. She starts overheating. I'm like, oh my God, I got to get there. I walk back to the apartment. I tell them what happened. I said, look, I can't make the, what, why you can't make the meeting? You didn't sign with anybody else, did you? I said, I said, no, 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 my car. Wait, hold on. Never mind your car. We'll take care of it. Just stay there. I'm like, what is that about? I hang up the phone. An hour later, knock on the door. Open the door. There's this guy there. He goes, you Chas Palmetary? I go, yes. Come with me. I go, what? I go down the parking lot. In the parking lot is a 19 brand new 89 Cadillac Eldorado. Black with saddle interior. He said, here, William Morris got this for you. Don't be late for the meeting. I went back upstairs. I called William Morris. I spoke to uh, Lee Cohen. I said, you what's just, happening? What's happening here? Yeah. I, I didn't sign with you. He goes, yeah. we know. He goes, we just well, we, we don't want you to be late for your meeting. Thank you. He goes, we just leased it for you for two years. If you, It's yours. He goes, whatever you decide, it's your decision. You have got to be kidding me. Yes. That is how business was done. That's how business was done. They were not going to let me. I get in the car. I'm driving. Like, this is good. Oh, before I get in. Yeah. Before I get in, a lot of this. There was all broken down cars because we were all broke, all right. actors, right? So the car's smoking. She goes, Chaz, what, what is this car? I, go, I said, William Morris. She goes, what? Are you kidding? I said, no. She goes, what are you going to do with your car? I said, I don't know. I don't. She goes, I need a car. Could you sell it to me? Yeah. I said, okay. I, I said, uh, she goes, how much you want for it? I go, I don't know. What do you got? She goes, 40 bucks. I said, okay. She, <laughs> she said, $40. I took the $40. I said, take it. <laughs> do you imagine? Oh, my God. I know. And I get in the car, and I drive on the 405 down to the way of uh, Morris, and I walk in there, and I met with them, and I ended up signing with them. Sure. You have to. Yeah. Because they were just they so— won. They, they won. They won. They won. Fair and square. Fair and square, they won. And I signed with them, and after about a week with them, they said, hey, listen, we have a, another offer for your movie. I said, great, because now I have agents. I feel and a better. car, and we're a good. car, yeah. and a car. I'm driving yeah. around, it's you know. Like your hot Still stuff. No money, you know? you know. So we go to the studio. We're sitting there, and the guy looks at me, and uh, we're talking. I see this Italian lunch there, mm. and he says to me, and I'll show you. Here's a piece of paper like that. Yeah. He goes, Chaz, goes like this, puts it over to me. He goes, you sign that paper, you'll have a check tomorrow for one million dollars if you give us the rights. Mm -hmm. And I looked at him and I said, uh, is there a men's room? And he said, yeah, the executive bathroom is right there. And I said, excuse me. I walk into the men's room. I'm there and I, I look in the mirror, I'm washing my hands. And I'm really emotional, $1 million. Mm -hmm. I got $200 in the bank right. left. I and I'm sure you're up, thinking of your family. Thinking of my mom and dad, right. how I could help them. And right, the dream. The dream, pay off their loan, the credit cards, give them money, buy them a condo in Florida, the whole thing. Sure. Put my hand in my pocket, and I take out the card. I brought it with me for some reason, which I never did. For some reason that day I did. Mm -hmm. I look at it, and I go, <sighs> I walk back out, and I said, look, I'll sign that paper. And I could see they were all kind of... Great. I said, but I play Sonny and I write the screenplay. And the guy just dropped his head like that. He goes, Chaz, 
We can't do it. No one knows who you are. You're terrific, but you're, you're not a name. I said, well, I'm sorry. I play Sonny and I write the screenplay. My agents are right next to me. They just like, they can't Great. believe it. We gave him a car. We gave him a we car. We gave him a car now for this. Down a yeah. And uh, I just, so I said, well, I guess that's it. I stood up. And he goes, you're going to walk out of here and leave this check here? I said, yeah. He goes, you realize this movie will never get made. That's what he said to me. Mm. And I said, you're right. It won't with you, but it will get made. He says, why is that? I said, it's just too good. And someone will do it. And then two weeks later, I'm doing the show again, packed, like again, packed audience. So you're a rock star when you're doing uh, this play. Oh, no, there's lines around the corner. Yeah, how exciting. I mean, people can't get in. Did the someone theater. direct it? Uh, the re- yeah, Mark Travis, who was the moderator of the sh- uh, class, ended up he directing. He directed it. Yes. I mean, it was insane. So finally, I did the show, and I get off. People stand up, and, and he, stage manager runs over me. He goes, hey, Robert De Niro is in your dressing room. I said, what? He just saw the show. He's waiting for you. I, so I go down to the dressing room. There's Bob. Do you said, call him Bob at, well, already? Yeah, I do. I said, yeah. hi, how you doing? Yeah. And he goes, hey, how are you? you and know? you're like, you look a lot like Robert yeah. De Niro. Yeah. And he said, you know, the show was great. He's the greatest one-man show I ever saw. I never said anything like that. He goes, you know, I, I really want to make this a movie. So let me tell you what I want to do. And I went, this is how crazy I was. I went, wait, hold on, wait, wait a second, Bob. I said, he goes, I know, I know what you're going to say. You want to play Sonny, you want to write the screenplay. I go, yes. He goes, well, I'll tell you how I feel. You should play Sonny because you'd be great as Sonny. And you should write the screenplay because it's about your life and it'll be honest. I'll play your father, Lorenzo, mm-hmm. and I'll direct it. We'll go partners. And if you shake my hand, that's the way it'll be. I shook his hand, and that's the way it was. So what was that collaboration like? And what great. is, I mean, he seems, as, mm. as someone I don't know personally, yeah. like an incredibly special person. Very special. Not just because of his unique gifts as an actor, but yeah. as a human being. As a human being, very special. T- believes tell me about in, him. Believes in collaborating. Everything is a collaboration. And I think that's why he works with Marty so much, because right. they collaborate so much. And he believes in there's no ego. Whoever has the best idea wins. It, it was a blessing. Did uh, you sit together and write it? Did well, you constantly. go off and write? Like, what was the actual... I wrote the screenplay on my own. I shot, then I, was that, the screenplay was already written. I wrote okay. it. When I was writing, doing the one-man show, I was writing the screenplay. Got it. Because I wanted to be ready. And so once they saw the screenplay, I said, oh, you want to see the screenplay? Here. <laughs> Let me go into my catalog yes. and get it out of and the so glove compartment. And so everybody read it, it was like freak-out time. Mm-hmm. Everybody just went crazy. So. And is it pretty close to the movie A Bronx exactly, Tale that I know? Exactly. Exactly close. The screen, the one-man show, the screenplay. Exactly. What you wrote. What I wrote. And Bob was like, that's what, that's what made it so great. Bob just kept it honest. He didn't get. He didn't start like getting writers to come in and rewrite. Just kept He's like, it. I'm fine with this. This I'm is fine. great. Let's go, man. And yeah. so right away, you guys have a language together. Yes, we had a great language together. It was one of the highlights of my life working with him. He's very smart. And if I came up with a, a great idea, he used it. If he came up with a better idea than I had, I, I changed it. Mm-hmm. I changed it. There were some things I changed, yes. And how did you know, because you know your dad as well as you know Sonny. Yeah. They were contemporaries. Yeah. There's um, a moment where we are intended to believe that Sonny 
and your mother's character, mm. that that she yes. was his great love. Yes. I don't know if that's poetic license. What or, that, I'll tell you exactly yeah. what that is. I, that was actually Alan Menken's idea. We were talking about my In father, the musical now. In the musical, yeah. yes, in the musical. Sonny asked my mother out. He liked my mother. This my, is for real. This is for real. Yeah. But my mother was not allowed to go near him. My father, my grandfather, her father, said, no, stay away from him. You're not going near him. So that was it. They didn't, never went out. So I just thought that would have been interesting. Maybe that yeah. was, and Alan said, oh, you got to make it one of his great yeah. ones. Yeah. So it was part poetic license, but part that Sonny asked her out. Mm-hmm. And my mother wouldn't go out with him. Then my father, she met my father at a dance. And... Uh, and they That's were it. each other's great loves. They was each other's And they great love. were married for how many years? Sixty-five. It's a good run. It's a good run. It's a really yeah. good run. Yeah. So, so Sonny, how old was Sonny when he died? He was in his forties. Yeah. And so he was about twenty years older than you. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, more, Maybe more. more. Yeah, late forties. Yeah, very handsome, tall. Was a fighter, boxer. I mean, just. Yeah, he was God, like, you know, everybody treated him like he was God, you know. This That's is what such I a say. random, maybe irrelevant question, but yeah. the did you ever know the family um of of the guy who you saw get killed? No. No. They weren't no. local in your community. No, I they they were known, but I no. You didn't know them. No. Do you, you think they you know this is their story? Or the catalyst for the a person story? Who got killed? Yeah. I don't know. You don't. You, you don't go there. Uh huh. That was like a place you just don't go. You don't want to know who they are. You don't want them to know who you, you are. are. After the killing, it was over. Right. That, like I said, remember I said to you, said the neighborhood just moved on like nothing right. happened. Right. Nobody was traumatized, and people look at me. They go, "Oh my God, you must, young boy, you must." I said, yeah. Go to therapy. No. It just forgot about it. Right now. Did I really forget about it? No, because obviously it always stayed in my Percolating head. Percolating in all of these ways. All yeah. these years, it always, and it would only come in my head, Ilana, when I would go, when I would sit on, when I would watch a ball game or sitting on a couch and I put my hands like this. If I did that, the thought would come in my head. Or if I saw two people arguing over a parking space, it would come back to right. me. But not in a PTSD sort of no. way, as much as a memory. Of, Just a of memory, not in a PTSD yeah. at all. No, I yeah. never had nightmares about it. Never, nothing. Just forgot about it. So this event, which then turns into you and yeah. my good friend Bobby De Niro sitting yes. together, um, it just, from there, yeah. everything kind of grows and grows and grows into what is... And again, I read the most truncated bio of you, a, a, a film career yeah. and, and a theater career yes. and a producing and writing and, and all of the other right. and merchandise. I mean, I yeah. mean, it has grown in all these ways and you have love in your life. Yes. Right. I've, so yes. at some point, aside from this beautiful family that you grew up in, right. you meet this woman who becomes your wife. Yes. And you have a family together. Yes. Where did you meet? Your beautiful wife. Yes. I saw her in church. Like you but, do. Like I do. But we didn't talk. I just saw her. She saw me. No words were spoken. I said, gee, that, that's a pretty girl. And she looked at me and 
don't know. She said, you know, just I wasn't famous at yeah. the time. Bronx still wasn't out yet. The play was done. I mean, I, I did make the deal and everything, but I wasn't famous or anything. But you're back in New York or you're no, still in I, L.A.? LA. I'm okay. still in L.A. And, uh, and then finally, one of my friends just, he, he had a club and he said, you got to come. You gotta, I said, oh, I don't want to go. And I said, all right. You know, and I, I went to this club and uh, I opened the door to go in the club and she was coming out. We went right into each other. Literally bumped right into each other. You're like, that's the woman from church. And I said, I saw you suddenly. She goes, yeah, I saw you suddenly. I said, where are you going? She goes, I'm leaving. I said, why don't you stay? I said, I'm just coming in. I said, have a drink. Just, and we started talking, and that was it. We've is, been together ever since. Is there an age difference yeah, between you guys? she's 18 years younger than me. Did that make you nervous at the time? or No, she's beautiful. Yeah, actually. <laughs> and obviously, it didn't make her nervous at the time. No, no. Oh. So that's amazing, and you've been together ever since as well. We've been together well. ever since, yeah. Yeah, we've been together. We have two kids who are very who are successful in the business. And um, and you couldn't tell them not to do it. It's worked out so well no, for you. And you had it. parents They who... wanted to do it, and I said, look, you know, if you're going to do it, then you've got to go to college. You've you, you to go to, you gotta go to the best schools, and you've got to do good in school, and that's it. Otherwise, no. And they did, you know. So you're in The Usual Suspects. Yeah. We're also living in a moment right now where things are really yes. changing. What what are you thinking or feeling at this moment in time? You must be thrilled that your daughter is now potentially growing up in a business that's changing. Yes. Do you talk about it with your kids? Do you have a feeling about it one way or the other? You grew up in a time where the rules were very different yes. and the and the vocabulary was very different. Was yes. not PC in yes. any way. You're right. Yeah, but you know what? If people who meet my children just rave about them. They're good, great kids, you know. And that from's that comes from the parents. Mm -hmm. You have to be on top of them. You have to be on top of them as much as you can. Look, can you be overbearing? But uh, you know what? I'd rather be overbearing than underbearing. Sure. If I'm gonna err on the side, err on of... the side of overbearing. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, because when you're young like that, you don't think five minutes ahead of time. Mm -hmm. I should not be here now. The, the things that happened to me when I was running around in the streets in the Bronx, it is a miracle yeah. that I am here. There for the grace of God. There for the grace of God. A miracle that I am here. Well, you've said a few times that you are the luckiest person. I am the luckiest man in the world. You can't manifest. Can you manifest that? I think you can believe it, and I think... I think it's it's you feel connected. I feel connected to God. Are you a religious person? I I am. I mean, I don't go to church all every week, but I do go to church once in a while. And but I'm but I'm connected to God every day. I believe I was put here for this reason, to do something with my life, to have this story, to walk around with a card that says the saddest thing in life, and to give it to that one kid. I'm really one of these people. They go. Chaz, you know, it's like the guy who walks on the beach and there's thousands and thousands of starfish and he's walking down the beach and he picks up one, he throws it in, picks up another, throws it in. He just keeps picking them up, throwing them in. And a man stops him and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm trying to save the starfish. He goes, you can't save all the starfish. He said, well, I just saved that one, didn't I? You know, and that's how I feel. If I save that one kid, and I have. I know I have. I've seen kids come over to me and said, you know, seven years ago I saw your movie and 
this changed my life. Or I had parents come over to me and say, you know, my son was this, and you spoke to him, and he it went inspired back to school. him to go the other path. Yeah, yeah. right, and to, follow and to follow your dreams. I mean, look, maybe I have this thing, and I don't want to come off like I think I'm bigger than I am, but I, I, I think that you could change a life by just getting that person before they go with that certain thing. Because right when they're 12, 13, that's, it's that middle school time. Mm -hmm. That's when if you lose them there, it's very hard to get them back. Mm -hmm. Right there is that middle school. That's the danger zone. Once you lose them at 15, 16, really hard to get them back on the, on the right course. So I tried. So you've written this story. It's had all of these chapters. Mm. You have probably worked with all of the great directors, uh -huh. uh, incredible actors in your life that you've had as right. colleagues. So part of what A Bronx Tale originally was born out of was this passion and drive mm. to make it to have an opportunity to do what you love to do. And mm. obviously you never could have expected what would what would follow, right? Or maybe you did. Did you see it? Okay, I didn't expect Bronx Tale to have this life. Yeah. No, I did For not. For decades. But I did expect to make it. Yes, you that, always knew. Yes, yes, that I did. I knew I was going to, I knew I was going to be successful. I knew it. It's, it's a, a belief that you had, that my sisters had too. And that's why they're so successful. Right. It's the belief that my parents said, you have it, you're going to be a star. You'll see. It's going to happen. I know, but a lot of people want it, and mm. a lot of people are told that. Yes. And it doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen. So why, why does it happen? Because, it had to, because with me, it happens. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could give you an answer to that, like a real logical answer. How fun, answer. though. Like, it must be very fun. My parents, let me tell you, uh, we have time. I'm gonna yeah. tell you, I'll, I'll tell you a quick, quick story. When I was doing the, the bouncer stuff and I was running out of money and doing auditions, my parents, when we moved out of the Bronx, we lived in, the, they lived on top and I lived on the, uh, on the bottom. I would go right on an index card, Dad, could you lend me $20 for gas? And I would go up there, because I used to get home real late when mm -hmm. I was bouncing, and put it under the door. And then the next day, I would see... $20 under my door. And this went on for like six months. $20, $10, $20, $10, the index card. Cut to 25 years later, I'm nominated for Academy Award. My mother, father sitting in the car with me. My wife is with me in the car. She's eight months pregnant. We're going down, you know, when you get out of the, uh, just before you get off the red carpet. And my father looks at my mother and says, should we give it to him? My mother goes, yeah, 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 okay. Opens up his tuxedo, takes out this envelope, and hands it to me. He goes, this is for you. So we're just about to get out of the car, right? Right. I open up the envelope, and in the, en on, in the envelope is all these index cards. And it says $10, $20, $10. That's 25 years later. I'm like, he goes, you don't know what that is? I go, that's my handwriting. <laughs> what, what is this? He goes, don't you remember when you had no money, you put them under the door and we gave it to you? He goes, me and your mother saved these cards because we knew this day would happen. They are incredible. That is why you got so lucky, because you were born to that couple. We knew. 
they loved you so much. Of course you're emotional. Can you imagine? We knew this day would happen? What, what possessed you to think of saving these cards that your child is giving you? That you say, well, when he gets nominated for Academy Award, we'll give it to him. What in God's name kind of belief you have to have? So that's where I come from. So that's how you could see why, to me, there was no question I was going to make it. There was no question. Do you think your kids feel pressure having a father who sort of came from there, there was no leg up for you other yeah. than such incredible support and love, which yes. is not nothing. Which not to something. diminish that. That's actually everything, everything. right? Yes. But they are now the children of yes. Charles Palminteri yes. trying to do something with, with a legacy and a name already attached to it yes. and an expectation. How... They work twice as hard. They mm -hmm. work. I said, you have to be twice as good as anybody. People are going to tell you, well, your father's going to help you. Your father could open up a door for you. But you have to be twice as good now because they're going to go, well, it's his father. Let's see how good his kid is. So you have to be really good. Yeah. You have to leave it where it's no question yeah. they're going to hire It has you. to be Dante or it has to it be. It has to be Dante. And they are that talented. Are you going to do it. something together? Have you guys been thinking about writing something together or creating a project? Well, here, there were a couple of short films, that, a couple of movies that I directed. But uh, they're... they're ta they, they are so talented on their own right. They really are. Yeah. I mean, sing, my daughter, sing, dance, act. It's like, in the blood. Like, in the blood. She wants to go to, you know, Carnegie Mellon in Michigan. You know, she's incredible. My son, uh, he loved the guitar, singer, songwriter, and actor. He went to Berkeley, Berkeley uh, Conservatory in Boston. Wow. Did great. There. I mean, so you want to go? You got to go to the best school and you got to work hard. Right. And he's been on Law and Order, Orange is the New Black. Yeah, I mean, just, they're doing it. They're doing it. They're doing it. They got agents, awesome. managers, but they see the drive that their father has. And my wife is incredible as far as love goes and pushing them. Mm -hmm. You know, she was an actress. Mm -hmm. She was a producer. She's still producing. So it's like they have it. They have yeah. the best of both worlds. Yeah. Well, what an amazing thing to get to spend some time with you today. Yeah. I, I've been such a fan and. I had a hunch that you would be as nice as you are talented, and you are. Oh, And thanks. I really, thanks. really appreciate you coming in today. Well, it was my pleasure. I, I'm a very, uh, uh, it was my pleasure to come in, and, and you're, you're a great interviewer. You talk, you ask very insightful questions, and you let the person talk, and, um, you know, Good, good things happen to good people. That's what I always say. Well, what a pleasure. Thank you, Chaz. You're very welcome. For being there. Until next time. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. 
Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media, located in Times Square. Pro Media offers both production and post-production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.